problem with priests. Happy Monday and welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. The problem is that a priest needs to be holy in order to stand before God, though there is none righteous. And if such a perfect person existed, he couldn't very well represent us sinners. As we turn the pages of the book of Hebrews, we're challenged to think deeply about the old covenant system of mediators and sacrifices, and we'll come to the conclusion that it's just not adequate. Jim's talk is called About Priestly Things. It's funny how we can recognize pain in our own hearts and sometimes not even empathetic with pain in other people's lives, and yet when it comes to seeking answers, how often it shifts, and we think, well, I can understand why God would answer her prayers and do that for her and his prayers, but not me. I, I, don't, I don't know why God would mess with me in my mess. <laughs> well, Fanny Crosby knew all about that. You know, she was blind. You knew that, didn't you? Fanny Crosby authored all those hymns. Fanny Crosby was blind. And yet she knew the friendship and the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus Christ that transcended her weakness, transcended her, what others would call her impairment, and turned it into a blessing. <laughs> Someone was teasing her one time, so I, Fanny, you're, you're blind. How in the world? How are you going to expect to know Jesus if you get to heaven? And she wrote, oh, I'll know him. I'll know him by the print of the nails in his hands. Good old Fanny. I'm anxious to meet her in heaven. There she'll have full sight. But much of her full sight here in this world was based upon things that she learned because as a person without physical sight, she learned to trust Jesus Christ and take his promises seriously. Good advice for all of us. Hebrews, please, in your Bible, the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 1, challenges us. He says, therefore, holy brothers, now note that, holy brothers, and this is Hebrews 3, 1, therefore, holy brothers and companions in a heavenly calling. Note, he's writing to believers. Mark that. You may be questioning that when we come to the end of our study tonight and the study next week. Is Paul really talking to Christians in this? Yeah, he really is. He really is. Paul is writing to Christians who are struggling. Now he says, holy brothers, companions in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider him. Ponder him. Study him. Learn things about him. He is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, the word confessioner means our testimony. It means our confidence, our confession is our confidence in the truth of who Jesus is, what he did, why that matters, and its application to our lives. See that? So the writer challenges us to think about Jesus as the apostle and as the high priest. When you come then to chapter 4, and verse 14, he picks up the passage we're headed into tonight, and he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, there it is again, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that means all the space and anything that stands between this spot I'm on tonight, anything, 
anything that's out there in the skies and everything. He has passed through it. He has moved through it in triumphal victory as conqueror and Lord of all creation. He has passed through the heavens. Who is it? Jesus, the Son of God. Let me park there for just a second. People sometimes become confused about that phrase, the Son of God, especially when it's used in, in, in relationship to Jesus and his ministry on earth, the only begotten Son of God. We'll come to that in a minute. That's not saying that God the Father had a baby with Mary and it happens to be Jesus. What that's saying is that God the Son one of the three persons of the unique triunity of the Godhead, the Son, God the Son. He's always been God. He didn't become God. He always has been God. But he did become man. And as man, he came into our world, lived among us, gave testimony, gave revelation, gave light. He was the message of God spoken in flesh and blood. He is God the Son. That's who has passed through the heavens. That's who our great high priest is. And since we have this great high priest, let us hold fast to the confession. That is, let's not be embarrassed to confess what we know to be true and what we receive as absolute fact about Jesus Christ. We're told that he, though he is God the Son, we're told that he is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he is one who has been tested in every way as we are tested, yet without sin. So although he's God, although he's God, he's sympathetic with us, not out of existential pity, but he has actually gone through the experience of human life. He knows what it's like to be tempted. We'll see more about that in just a minute. But out of his experience as man, he knows how we feel. And he empathizes. He sympathizes with us. In other words, God, Jesus, knows everything that can be known about you more than you know about yourself. And guess what? He loves you. <laughs> and here's the shocker. He really wants to deliver you from the power of sin. He wants to deliver you from the power of distance from God. He wants to deliver you from death. He wants to make you just like himself. Incredible. Now, he knows you. You don't have to come to him and say, well, you know, God, I'm a terrible sinner. He'll smile and say, oh, I know about that. Matter of fact, I know about your sins more intimately than you do because I paid the price for your sins. I suffered the penalty that you should have suffered and you will suffer if you will not accept my gift of forgiveness. So I know all about your sins, all of them. The thoughts, motives, I know all about that. I know who you are. I've known you from before you were born. 
You see that? Incredible. So the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that we can come here to this place he calls the throne. See it there, verse verse, uh, 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Now, that's a quick fix. Let me explain something. High priests in the Old Testament did not go into a place of throne, okay? In fact, in the Old Testament, the high priest was forbidden to also be king. Those two powers were separated. God would call other people, like David and Solomon, to be king, and they were not permitted to do the priestly functions. The high priest was called to the priestly functions, and he was not allowed to rule. So here you have something that the writer is, he's not sneaking it in, but he assumes that we already know that. Because when Jesus passed through the heavens, where did he stop? At the throne of God. And what did he do? He sat down on the right hand of the Father on the throne of the universe. So the writer assumes we know that, but you got a bit of mixed metaphors here. You see that? You got you got something true of Jesus that was not true in the Old Testament on the earth among the Jewish priests and high priests and the kings. Let us come to the throne. Now imagine that. Imagine that. Jesus doesn't talk behind his hand like this and say, look, I'd be very embarrassed if you showed up in heaven. I mean, if you you came into the throne room, it would embarrass me to death. One of the angels might say, Jesus? You know him? Jesus? You know her? That's destroyed. The passage tells us that as those who are born of God, those who are born again, those who receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, were invited into the throne room. One sitting on the throne is our Father. The one next to him on the right-hand side is God the Son. And he tells us to come boldly. And for us, because of what Jesus did while he was in human form living on the earth, while he was here, because of what he did then, we're not only welcome there, but we find grace. It's amazing how many people associate God with only judgment, with harshness, distance. In this passage, the writer wants us to know that since Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, sitting on the throne, having passed through all the heavens to get there, the highest pinnacle, you're welcome there, child of God. You're expected there, and what you're going to find there is not judgment, not criticism, not berating. You're going to find a father who loves you. And because of the price he paid for you and his son, he has grace abundant. 
Grace is what God gives to people who really don't deserve it. Mercy is God withholding from people what they really deserve. So in those two, grace and mercy, you've got a one-two punch. Have you been to the throne today? Have you, have, you, have you had time in your busy, precious schedule to take those burdens and cares and go into the very throne room of God? Pour out your heart. Well, there's the promise right there. You can read it. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, to help, to help. God wants to help. God wants to be your partner. God wants to be your savior. Incredible passage. Okay. Take a big deep breath now. Fasten your seatbelt. For the next four chapters, we're going to be on one huge roller coaster ride. Oh, you don't believe that? You've not read Hebrews. You've read Hebrews? You know what I'm talking about. Look how the writer takes us now and unpacks this incredible benefit, this unspeakable rich blessing that's ours because at the throne is one called Jesus who is our high priest. He's there on our behalf. Now look at it. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, he's going to compare and contrast. Every high priest taken from men is appointed in service to God for the people. That is, the high priest's job is to care for things pertaining to God. The king over on the throne in the human government, he takes care of things related to taxes and armies and all that kind of stuff. Earthly stuff, that's the king's business. What does the high priest do? The high priest is the mediator. He's the one who mediates between us humans and God. And he is called to handle and to focus his time and attention on things that pertain to God. First of all, he is assigned the responsibility to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Start there. In the Old Testament economy, Moses was given by God orders to set up the Jewish economy back there with the tabernacle and the wilderness all through the Old Testament period. In that, in that establishment, God delighted to receive gifts from his people. That is expressions of thanksgiving, expressions of praise, expressions of worship and wonder. I, I, I wonder sometimes how many of us sit in worship services and never really worship. Our, our thoughts go no higher than the ceiling. We can become distracted by things that are just human. And that whole hour can go by and we never really lift to God attitudes of praise, thoughts, words of expression, of appreciation, thanksgiving, love, adoration. That's what worship is. That's what the high priest was called to do. He was the one who had certain 
symbolic actions he went through, certain rituals he performed through which he expressed the adoration, the love for the people of the covenant, the people who were, whom he was represented. He would stand between those people and their adoration for God and offer up sacrifices. Remember the incense? Remember the incense? I know most of us, especially we Gentiles, we're dumber than mud when it comes to the Old Testament worship service. I know that. And you really realize that if you go with me to Israel. <laughs> and there you see models of the temple and you see all these things that have been restored and built ready for the next temple, which will be along pretty soon now. And you see those things and you realize, I never realized that. I never realized, I never realized that. I never realized that. I never realized that. Yeah, well, the writer realized all of that and he's capsulated the work of the high priest. He is, he is taken from men, that is, he's a human, he's a human person, and he is appointed to give his life in those things pertaining to God. He lifts the offerings, lifts the praises. The incense was a way of visually demonstrating the rising of prayers, petitions, requests, thanksgiving. That was one way that was expressed in the temple service. And the high priest was the head guy in charge of all of that stuff. And then there were the sacrifices for sins, that is, those sins that people committed, especially those sins they committed out of ignorance. They for whatever reason, didn't know that what they were doing thinking was a violation of God's righteous standard. And so they did it and suddenly they feel guilty and realize they're under the judgment of God. What am I gonna do about it? How am I gonna play key God? How am I gonna, how am I gonna restore peace between God and me? Well, you're gonna bring an appropriate sacrifice. And those were always bloody sacrifices. Animal had to die. Who did that? The priest. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he went into that place on behalf of the people. Now let's read on. So the point he's making is that every high priest is taken from men, he's, take, he's a man, taken from among people. He's appointed to do service or ministry in those things pertaining to God on behalf of the people. He offers both uh, gifts and sacrifices for sin. Verse 2, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he must make a sin offering for himself as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. I read that far to get to Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. Was Aaron a saint or a sinner? Oh, big time sinner. Now he was the older brother of Moses, biologically. They were both born in the tribe of Levi. But Aaron, well, Moses went up on the mountain to receive the oracles from God, you remember? He's up there and God says, get back down. The people have so transgressed against me, I'm about ready to destroy them. Most saying, wait a minute, we've only been out of Egypt a couple of months here. 
Well, they're doing bad stuff. Get down. And Moses went down. When he saw what they were doing, he took the tablets of stone and broke them. Remember that? Remember that? Well, who was leading that mischief at the bottom of the mountain? Aaron. 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 On that day, if there was a chief of sinners, Aaron would have won the award. I say that to emphasize for you that Aaron was no righteous, sinless person. He was a sinner. That's the point the passage is making. But Aaron was chosen directly by God to be the high priest. He was chosen specifically to be the high priest. A little later, remember, he and Miriam had this scheme where they challenged Moses. Who do you think you are? And we're also subject to God. We're also equal. You, you shouldn't be above us, and some bad things happen. On that day, if you'd have asked the question, who are the chief sinners in Israel? You'd have said, Aaron and Miriam. So Aaron is not a pure little sinless guy that God found off in a woodshed someplace, isolated from society, and, and he's a perfect little perfect guy that never sinned. He's a bad sinner. He's got sin all over him. He sinned. That's Aaron. It God chose him. God not only chose Aaron, God made a rule that every high priest, now all of the priests who serve in the temple. All the priests had to be descendants of Levi, the tribe of Levi. But only, only sons who were generated from or descended from the tribe of Aaron, not tribe, the family of Aaron, only those who were from Aaron's family were qualified to be priests. Every one of them sinners. That's why you have this explanation in here. You see, it says that, I'm going to read it this way, verse 2, Aaron was able, see, Aaron was able to deal gently with those who were ignorant and going astray. Why? Because Aaron himself was also subject to weakness. I should say so. Because of this, Aaron must make a sin offering for himself as well as for the people. Aaron, the high priest, needs a priest. He's the sinner. The priesthood of Aaron and sons was only provisional. Paul exposed its deficiencies to a group of people who were waxing nostalgic for the robes and the ceremonies and the incense. Given all of its problems, it must have been a temporary stopgap system, something to get us by until the true high priest arrived. Jim has opened a can of worms labeled About Priestly Things. If you'd like to own a CD copy, we'll send that disc to you for a gift of $7 or more. Our current series called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1, is comprised of 19 CDs, all yours for an offering of $66 or more. If this ministry means something to you, if it makes you want to follow more closely in the steps of Jesus, you may want to support us financially and pray for us. We deeply appreciate both kinds of aid. Thanks to everyone putting their hand to this plow. If you'd like to help, you can mail a gift or a CD order to Right Start. P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. You can call us at 1-800-984-2313. We're spam-free, junk mail-free, and toll-free. 800-984-2313.
And come to our website, rightstartradio.org. That's where you can find some trustworthy Christian teaching always. You can play radio programs from the site or hear Jim's original sermons without the broadcast interruptions. You can have the podcasts come to you automatically by following the link to subscribe, and you can make a secure donation at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. We'll go further in Hebrews 5 tomorrow. Please make it a point to be tuned in at this same time for the Tuesday edition of Right Start. <music>